Hi, you're listening to God, Ghosts, and Government, a weekly conversation with Senator Kim Jackson, where she'll reflect on her journey as an Episcopal priest, farmer, first-time state legislator, and much more. I'm your host, Sharitha J, and I'm honored to share this space with you. Let's begin. Hey, hey, it's Sharitha J, and I'm here with Senator Kim Jackson, as always. Hey, Senator Jackson, it's a pleasure to see you. It's good to see you too, girl. How you doing? I am fantastic. Excited to get into another episode of God, Goats, and Government. All right. What you you got for me today, Sharitha? I mean, there's so much happening. I wanted to start off on a positive note, but the reality is I recently heard about SB 535 and I'm not for it. Yeah, well, of course you're not for this bill, Sharitha, because it's antithetical to everything that we do and believe in at Common Ground as it relates to how you care for people who are experiencing homelessness. So basically HB or SB 535 is a bill that comes to us from Nowhere near us from Texas, from some random people who haven't done a single ounce of work with homelessness in this state ever, um, who are trying to come in and tell us in Georgia that we're doing it all wrong. And uh, the way that they want to control how we are doing and caring for people who are unsheltered is they want to withhold government funds, $87.7 million to be exact. Hold up. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Do what now? Yeah. So the government has promised the state of Georgia $87.7 million to help us uh, particularly get people who are sleeping outside into housing. And the very first paragraph of this bill says that none of that money, none of the $87.7 million could be used to build or develop permanent supportive housing. That's what they try to do. Like just from the jump, you can't use it. They're like the only the only thing you use that money for is basically to build encampments. It's 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 awful. It's disgraceful. And I went in on them during committee because I'm just like, I mean, their whole premise is that support permanent supportive housing. First of all, they keep referring to it as free, which. Um, For those of you who do not know, permanent supportive housing is not inherently free. Most people, at least the ones that we know and work with Sharitha, who live in permanent supportive housing here in Atlanta, have SSI. They receive some type of disability check and a portion of that goes to pay their rent. And for those who are working, um, a portion of their percentage of their salary as it increases and decreases goes to pay and offset the cost for their housing. So first of all, it's not free. Even if it was free, why do they matter? Why do they care? Um, But additionally, their whole premise is that wraparound services, supportive housing doesn't work, that it's, quote, too expensive. And I asked them, you know, what do you say to the hundreds of people who are in Atlanta who used to sleep outside and who were dying on the streets of Atlanta who are now in permanent supportive housing? Do you say that it's not working for them? Like, because I can name names, right? Sharitha, you and I can name names right now. Absolutely. I'm going to be honest with you. When I read the words um, structured camping facilities, I'm like, wait a minute. And the terminology of getting folks, you know, off the streets, but to where? 
Yeah, so they want to put them in basically like a tent city where everybody has to be there around themselves, surrounded, you know, with themselves, kind of with security. And the only thing that the city would have to provide is potable water and a place to use the bathroom. So not actual shelter, right? Like they just basically, they want to say, anybody who's sleeping outside needs to be, you know, swept up off the streets, taken to this designated place where they can use their tents or whatever they want. And they all have to be in one place. And I'm just like, I asked the, you know, the Senator who's carrying the bill. I'm like, have you seen tent cities? Like, have you been to LA and seen a tent city? No, 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 ma'am. I haven't. Well, I think you need to go and see what that looks like. And you need to learn about the public health threats that come with that before you start introducing legislation that withholds money. And Sharitha, it's worse. It's not just that this bill would withhold money from cities. It includes nonprofits. So the work that Common Ground does in partnership with in-town collaborative ministries, the way that we're able to have a caseworker who works with our folks on the ground, that is funded in part by government funds. And this bill would say, you know, in-town ministries, no more. You can't have that money to do that work anymore. Work that we know is working, right? I could go on and on about this bill. I was very fired up. Um, you know, I had to work very, very hard not to just tell these people to go back to Texas where they came from. Um, and I was really, really grateful for all of the people who came out to testify against the bill and to say, listen, housing first is evidence-based, putting people, how do you end homelessness? Put people in houses. Um, that is evidence-based and this whole notion of not creating permanent supportive housing is boulder ash. And I'm grateful that there were people who stood up and said that. I'm still shaking my head because I'm in disbelief that this would even be presented um, just from the little research that I've, I've had opportunity to do on this, but I, I've read that there's um something in this bill around active police sweeping of current encampments, right? So, and that is how, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, that certain organizations can maintain money as well. Like also you have to actively sweep. So and that's where my question comes from. Okay, okay, you can actively sweep all you want, but where are we, where are we putting people who are already displaced? You're displacing people human beings that are already displaced, right? So, and I'm also interested, like, why Texas? Why? <laughs> so I, I think that's where they're based out of. It's actually called like the Cicero Institute or Society. Mm -hmm. um, they are a bunch of... Uh, to be, I think, Frank, a bunch of rich white people who do not hold people who are poor um, in high regard, I, I think is really probably the basis. If I was being more generous, I would say that they're a group of um, wealthy white people who want to make sure that government funds are being used properly to solve social ills. That's how they would describe it. 
And um, this isn't the first time I've seen a bill from them. They had another bill that um, would have drastically transformed how we do community supervision, also known as probation here in the state of Georgia, that had the same kind of punitive um, notions to it. So basically, if you're not doing it right in their eyes, in the exact way that they laid out, then funds would be withheld from your probation officers, right? Um, and this is the same thing. Basically, their, their argument was, if you are not enforcing your camping laws, your anti-camping laws. So if you aren't doing regular sweeps and keeping people, you know, from sleeping outside, then we're going to withhold funds fund from you. And one of my fundamental questions was, what does it mean to enforce? Uh, because Atlanta does, I mean, street that you were just involved in a, in a whole whole street cleaning um, experiment where they remove people from Central Avenue and put them in hotels. So Atlanta does enforce, but, uh, you know, based on their premises, there's no enforcement happening at all in Atlanta. And I'm like, so who gets to be the judge that when there's only one person sleeping outside, five people sleeping outside? Like, yeah. And the last thing I'm going to say about this bill, because I'm just done with it and tired of it. The bill's author is from Cordell, Georgia. He's like, we have five people who are homeless and we just went ahead and built them a little hut so that they could stay in it. He knows nothing about this issue. He just happens to live here during legislative session for three or four months out of the year. And he's tired of running by on his run, people who were sleeping outside and he just thinks it's awful and we're not doing a good job knowing nothing about the hundreds of people. It no, is awful. No, I'm saying right. it is awful, but not... <laughs> For the reasons in which he thinks. Exactly. Right. It is. It is always a travesty that there are people sleeping outside. But to suggest that we are doing nothing and not acknowledging the hundreds of people that have been placed in the permanent housing over the last two years during COVID. And the reason why they have housing today is because there was money. Lots of money came down from the city and the federal government, and that's how people got housed. And so they're trying to do the exact opposite, which is to take money. It's just not good sense. So I'm happy to report that bill had a hearing only. It was not voted on. Um, it's not going to be heard again on Monday. So we're getting very close to crossover day. I'm actually hoping that that bill will die and go to hell from where it came from. On that note, I, I do want to acknowledge, and I, I know this is God, goats, and government, but the, the God moment um, for me in this instance is that the divine intervention that you were able to be there and advocate on behalf of those who are often unheard and overlooked and just unseen. So thank you for doing what you know how to do. Yeah, well, I was grateful that it showed up in my committee because I, I am definitely the expert in that area that in terms of who serves in the Senate. And so it was grateful to be able to speak up. Thank you for listening to God, Goats, and Government. We love to connect with you. So please follow us at Kim for Georgia for updates. Again, that's at Kim for Georgia on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Indeed. Well, let's continue with sharing of the good news. There's some headway, quite possibly, that's been made with the budget, specifically dealing with adaptive sports. 
That's right. So um, I don't know if folks know, but I am a huge sports fan, broadly speaking, but um, even more specifically when it comes to adaptive sports, you know, adapt sports mattered to me so much and played such a significant role in my own development as a person. I think I am the team player that I am today because of sports. And so I've always um, wanted to make sure that people who are differently abled would have um, opportunity to participate in teams too. So I asked for funds to be appropriated for adaptive sports. It's already a program that exists here in the state. It actually originated here in DeKalb County. And adaptive sports, we're talking about wheelchair, football, wheelchair, handball, wheelchair, basketball, um, wheelchair chat track. Those are kind of the, the general programs. So I asked for a little over $300,000 um, to go in the budget to kind of shore that up and make sure they could replace um, their wheelchairs that are getting aged and things like that. And I'm happy to report that that showed up in our Senate side. And so you know, this works is that the House has a budget, the Senate has a budget, and then we have to reconcile it all. So I don't know when it all gets spun out, how much money we're going to have for adaptive sports, but I'm really grateful that see on that first pass that we've got some real money in there for adaptive sports. So for our listeners, can you also kind of delve into, have you heard this terminology around there's a little budget and a big budget? Yes. So this is for the little budget. The little budget is the amended budget. So um, what happened last year was that we put together in a budget, a budget for 2021. Um, and we did it based on some projected numbers, right? Like you don't really know how the economy is going to do. And so you just have to kind of make it up and create a budget based on that, right? So what we discovered was that we underestimated drastically, thanks to the federal government, Georgia has more, which let me be more clear, thanks to the Biden administration, Georgia has more money today than they have in a very, very long time. We are very flush. So we created almost an austerity budget last go round where we actually cut education out of it. So this little budget is the amended budget that will carry us out throughout the rest of this fiscal year. Um, and it will take, and take into account the fact that we've got a lot of money. So we're able to restore a lot of things. Education will be fully funded at the QBE, QBE level. Um, every state employee except for legislators will receive a $5,000 raise. Teachers will get 2,000 more. They already got 3,000 before. School nurses will get raises, janitors, custodians. I mean, everybody gets a raise. It's really, really incredible. Um, we're able to do a lot in this little budget because we have so much money. And then, yes, yeah, so later on, we'll come around with the big budget, which will be, you know, for the whole 2022, 2023 cycle. That'll be a lot bigger. And this is really based on like literally how long, how many pages. So the little budget is like maybe 100 pages. And the big budget will be like 300 pages. Speaking of pages, it puts me in mind that we are now officially in the month of March, which means that we're approaching crossover day. And Sunny Die will also be right around the corner. And I remember this time last year, you had quite a few pages uh, <laughs> to read beforehand. But can you remind listeners just why these two events specifically with crossover day coming up, I believe on March 15th, why is this significant? 
Yeah, so on a technical level, in order for a bill to become a law, it has to go through both the House and the Senate. So before crossover, a bill is living. So let's say my bill, we'll use my bill example, um, SB 197, my stalking bill. So it started in the Senate. Um, It's gone through the committee process. Hopefully we can get that on the floor and get it out. It has to go over to the House. And March 15th, crossover day, is the very last day in which a bill can cross over from one chamber to the next. That's on the technical level. So usually when we see something that didn't cross over, um, it's kind of dead. But of course, there are always these like backroom things that you can do to kind of revive something. So it's almost dead, but not dead. Or it's like mostly dead. That's a Monty Python reference. Um, It's mostly dead. But so this is really, really crucial as I look at my own bills um, to make sure that they get out by March 15th out of the Senate. That's how you keep them alive on the House side. And then the House will have their process and review them. And this is when things get really chaotic. You're right. Like Sharitha, I read many, many pages last night in order to be prepared for the floor this morning. And uh, that will just continue until we're finished. Well, of course, I know the pace is picking up. And, you know, when you talk about crossover day, I, I know we, I know you just said that we were done talking about SB 535, but it is my personal hope that this thing, it's important to note that it didn't pass out of committee, correct? That's right. It did not. And so, I don't think it will. Okay. I, I think it's going to die. Okay. So that's why, you know, these terms and these events these days are very important for us to know because this is how, how bills make they, their, their way um, yeah. into, I guess, legislation. Like, yeah. this is it. This is the process. But again, it's March and yes, crossover day is coming up, but it's also Women's History Month. Yeah, which, you know, it flows nicely from Black History to Women's History Month. So um, I'm sure I'll be getting in the well at some point this month and uh, celebrating the work of of women who continue to, I think, help advance really important legislation and continue to do work to save lives. And so um, I'm excited. We've been hearing points of personal privilege every day, celebrating great women across not just the state, but across the nation. So I'll uh, certainly echo that as well. Excellent. Now, I know Polly Murray is uh, you know, one of your uh, mentors and that you usually speak on their, their life and how they've walked through the world. But who, who else? Who else has what other individual, what other woman has impacted Senator Kim Jackson? Yeah, so Sharitha, I'm actually going to talk about a group of women. It's not just one woman, um, but a group of women who've been advocates in the reproductive justice field um, for quite some time, long before I ever showed up as a legislator. But I want to particularly celebrate um, women from Black Mamas Matter and uh, Spark, who have worked really hard for the last few years to advance legislation that, one, prevents people who are giving birth from being shackled, um, which had been a practice here in Georgia 
Georgia through their advocacy that is no longer a practice, at least it's not legal, hopefully it's not happening. Um, and then two, I wanna celebrate and left of them for also, you know, we passed out of the Senate, a bill that expands Medicaid specifically for people who are postpartum. And it's only because of their work that we are able to move from, you know, six months of coverage to 12 months of coverage for people who are part postpartum. And that matters because, you know, Georgia has the highest maternal mortality rate in the country. Um, and so not covering these folks has really contributed to this. So I want to lift those women up. I'm going to celebrate those folks um, who have done all of this work to make sure that we pass life-saving legislation that really positively impacts women. Senator Jackson, I know that it's that time of year, like the pace is picking up. Um, you, we, we can go ahead and name for listeners. You're actually getting ready to roll over into a, another interview uh, following this session. So to keep with honoring time, I just want to ask you, is there anything that we should update li listeners with this particular episode? Yeah, so a couple of things I want to make sure we highlight. Um, first and foremost, for my barnyard update, which is very relevant to a bill, uh, I have a goat that is in milk. She has milk again, which she hasn't been pregnant, She, despite Billy's visitations, but she spontaneously has milk again. And so I'm excited about that. And the reason why this is relevant is because the House has been in an ongoing conversation about whether or not it should be legal to sell raw goat's milk on the market. Uh, today, right now, it's illegal to do so. You can only sell raw goat's milk as for pets only. Uh, and that bill actually today passed out of the House. So um, it's on its way over to the Senate, which would create a pathway and make it legal for raw milk, raw goat's milk, which I have and which I will drink tomorrow, um, after, you know, in the morning when I milk her. It will be... Um, it might be legal. And there are a lot of public health people who are very concerned about this because raw milk can be very dangerous. Um, but so listen out for that. That's a big thing that's coming. And then the other thing I wanna just shout out is I wanna name the power of advocacy. So this week I received an hour before agriculture, my agricultural committee, I received several emails from people who own vape shops. So, you know, the stores where you go and you get your tobacco, you get your vape pens and things like that. And they wrote me about a bill that was going to be heard an hour later. And they talked about how it would be devastating to the industry. I didn't quite understand all the pieces to it. So I made a phone call to one of the people who wrote me. He explained to me why that was the case. And then they just bombarded every single member of ag the ag committee with these emails saying, please don't do this. Please don't hear this bill. It's bad for the industry. And don't you know that bill was taken off of our agenda and we never discussed it at all. That my friends is the power of advocacy. Wow. It works. And you always extend the call to action. Guys, I, I implore you to, to follow suit. There are going to be some other bills that are going to come our way as Georgians and make your voices heard. Yeah, I mean, if you still want to make sure the possums get saved, give me a call about that. And on a more serious note, 
If you want to make sure that we don't pass bills that harm trans children, then give a ring to the house because that's going to the house. If you're concerned about access to abortion, um, then you need to give a ring over to the house because we're sending over a bill there that would limit access to abortion pills. Uh, so there are a number of things that you can kind of pick up the phone or send an email and uh, give a ring to those committee members and let them know, hey, we're not for this here. We want to see you stop these bills because I'm telling you the advocacy, it does work. I watched it happen within an hour's time. We went from, oh, we're going to talk about this bill to it doesn't even exist in the world anymore. That's fascinating. I, I wonder what else we can do. We put our minds to it, right? That's right. Indeed. Well, Senator Jackson, if you don't have anything else for us, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. You've been listening to another episode of God, Goats, and Government. Until next time. Y'all be easy. May you, for those who observe a Lent, may you have a holy Lent. And may your fast be easy, yet a reminder of why you fast. 